Hey everyone. I want to welcome you to the Saturday night worship service. I'm glad that you're here and have joined us and uh, you've been praying and seeking the Lord and look forward to hear what God has to say. How many of y'all believe God has a word for us uh, Amen. tonight? Amen. I do as well. Thank you for praying for me while we took a little bit of vacation and spent some time away and got to see our children and some time of rest. Thank you for those who, Jay and others, who filled in for me uh, during my absence. We were so glad to be back home and uh, glad to worship with you tonight. We tonight are in 1 Peter chapter number 2. If you have your Bible, I hope that you will open it and follow the next uh, passage that we're going to look at, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll begin with verse number 13. 1 Peter chapter 2 and beginning with verse 13 tonight. <clears throat> Tonight, before we get into our text or our message, I think there's just the providence and the sovereignty of God that we're in this text tonight. And uh, first of all, before we get to the text, I want to just say something about this solemn assembly that I've asked us to consider. I was reading um, before a few weeks ago, and uh, just um, I've been doing some study on my own in my quiet time and study time uh, in the Minor Prophets. And uh, as I was uh, walking through the book of Joel, it just spoke out at me, and just so loud and clear. And I think about our world and our culture and where we're at. And in the time of real um, uh, contemplation on Joel's part, they were in a devastating circumstance. The country was absolutely devastated by uh, famine, by a ter terrible plague of locusts. And it had so devastated the country. And it was so, it had actually devastated the economy. The people were discouraged. Uh, it had hindered worship. They didn't have sacrifices to bring because it had been so destructive. And, and they were in a desperate situation. And as I read that, I thought about our situation. And then he says, this is what you're to do. Sound the trumpet. And call for a solemn assembly. And gather the elders and the leaders and the people. And even the young and the old and the small. And seek me in repentance and prayer. And you know what I thought? That's what, the God, that's what God's people needs to do in our life that we're in. In the midst of when we don't know what to do. Let's reach up to the one who does know. Amen. And that's God who sits on the throne. Yes, the issues that we are facing will not be solved by politics. Amen. It will be solved by the hand of Almighty God Amen. moving among us. And so I've asked for us to meet that evening for a solemn assembly of prayer. This is not, there is no zero political motivation. It is all a motivation to seek God in prayer and ask him to bring healing to us and revival and renewal and how we desperately need it. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, as we look at our passage of Scripture tonight, join me, if you will, in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse number 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority 
or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Father in heaven, I pray that as we look into this text today, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts. Father, forgive us of our sin and our failure. Father, forgive us of our inward rebellion and sin against you. And Father, God in heaven, we need you. We need you so desperately in our lives. Father, we come to you tonight and ask that Spirit, Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to convict us of our sin, confront us of our hypocrisy and our, our pridefulness and our arrogance. And Father, may we submit and surrender ourselves to you and your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a world of great political tension unlike I've ever seen in my entire life. Amen. We live in a world of social upheaval, of threats, of unrest, worry. We live in a world of vitriol and hatefulness and hatred toward one another. I've never in my life seen more disrespect for one another. I've never seen such political opponents and authority that is questioned at every hand. I've, I've never lived in a time when a nuanced conversation about truth, you can't even have it because people get mad and misunderstand you even before you begin to speak. There's deep, deep divides and hateful rhetoric. And people have taken sides and they cheer for their team and watch television that cheers on their team. And we excuse the ungodliness in both parties and in both candidates. It is indeed the worst of times in many ways. Peter was writing, and so I have fear and trepidation. But you know what, I, in some ways, but other ways I don't because this is the Word of God. And you know what, we chose to preach through First Peter, and it just happens to fall, this text, right at this time. Isn't that just God, the way God works? I think he has such a sense of humor. And God is speaking to all of us. Now, Peter is writing during the reign of Nero. He's writing from Rome. Nero was not a Christian man, in case you wanted to. Nero was a persecutor of Christian and ultimately will sentence Peter himself to death. But listen to what he says. In chapter number two, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So tonight I want us to look at some of the truths that Peter teaches us in God's word. He also, also writing about 10 years prior to Peter, the Apostle Paul wrote on the same theme, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 13 of what Paul had to say also. 
First of all, he says, submit yourselves to the governing authorities. And you know, the word submission is something that we all want to resist against because I want to be my own authority. I want to be my own man. I don't want to submit or, uh, to anyone else. And I don't want to come under anybody else's authority, anybody else's command. Let me just say that word submission is a military term. And it means to come under the command of authority. And if you have a problem of submission to authority, I'll show you. You show me a person who resists all authority, I'll show you you a person who resists the authority of God in their life. When you rebel against all authority, then you have a problem. And that problem is even in your relationship with God himself. So in Proverbs chapter 24, it says, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not associate with those given to change. You want to overthrow it. For their calamity will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that will come to both of them. So there's some caution that we need to look at. We need to understand that what Peter is saying here, that the Lord submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The word, this idea of submitting, it means that you need to, to, to put your life under that authority. Now, Peter and Paul lived in a time of immorality, in a decadent society. There was rampant idolatry, there was infanticide that was taking place, corruption, abuse of power, abuse of women, immorality, violence, homosexuality. But in the midst of all of that corruption, Jesus said, render to Caesar, that was his Caesar. And Peter says, submit to every authority. Now, look with me to what Paul has to say. If you have your Bible, the book of Romans, chapter number 13. Romans chapter 13. Notice in verse number 1. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Mark that. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, but is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection Not only because of wrath, but for conscience sake. For because of this you already pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Wow. So... What he's saying is, he says, understand, there's a purpose for governing authorities. And first of all, the purpose is to 
that to uh, punish evildoers. He says they exist because of the lawlessness and because of the fall of mankind and because of the depravity in our hearts and in our minds. If there wasn't a civil government, every man would do what is right in his own eyes and it would lead to nothing but chaos and disaster for us all. And God has established that there's civil governments and those civil government is to bring order and law in a world that is chaotic and sinful. It's a deterrent to lawlessness and that he wields punishment and he deals with otherwise the behavior would be filled with criminality and bullies and thieves and rapists and murderers and, 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 and the fallen and the depravity of man would just be out of control. And so civil government helps us to have a world where there's a sense of safety. And this is a, a blessing and a gift from Almighty God for all of us. Amen. Now, sometimes I don't always want to obey authority. Anybody had that problem in your life? The other day I was driving home and, and I was in a hurry. I was trying to get, trying to make good time on the road as I was trying to drive back from being gone. And so I came through a time where the speed limit was reduced and it said work zone but everybody else was going a lot faster now christy she has a way of always reminding me what the speed limit ought to be in every area and so uh as she was kind of chirping at me about it i said well i'm just going with the flow of the traffic here and then i saw a sign double fine zone and I thought to myself, I don't want double fine. So I lowered my speed, and I thought, that's a deterrent. The government's double fining of me put a deterrent on me. He says, listen, what he's trying to remind us is live as good citizens because it benefits you too to live where there's a government, that, that an institution. And, the, the, and he says, so do this for the Lord's sake to honor him, but also for your own sake because civil government is a blessing in your life. It is instituted by God himself. In chapter, Romans chapter 13, he says it's from, he's, 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 there's ministers of the Lord. It says, those who resist authority, verse 2, are opposed to the ordinance of God. Notice that, that it is a minister of God, civil government, the king, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it doesn't bear the sword for nothing. He says, this is an institution from God himself. Verse number one of Romans 13, he says, For there's no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Amen. Do it for the Lord's sake. Martin Luther and John Calvin said this is an extension of the Decalogue where it says to honor your father and your mother and that honoring of father and mother is authority in your life and so for the church and so in the state government. John Frame says it's a difference between two families, two kinds of kingdoms. There's the family of Adam and the family of Christ and both are trying for the same purpose, which is peace in our world. But 
The truth of the matter is only the family of Christ will prevail because, because civil government cannot bring in the peace of God. It only helps to curtail the evil that is in us. And so we need to obey this civil government for the glory of God and for our own peace and safety and for our own sake. Amen. No civil authority, no structure is perfect, even democratically elected structures. Robert Culver said, God alone, and I, I, I hope that you listen to me tonight. I, I had a lot of concern about preaching this message because I, I'm concerned that you're not going to listen to me. This sermon is not about politics whatsoever. But it's about honoring God in our life and in our society. It says, God alone has sovereign rights. Listen, democratic theory is no less unscriptural than divine right monarchy. By whatever means, men come to positions of rulership. By dynastic descent, arist aristocratic family connection, plutocratic material resources, or by democratic election, there is no power but of God. Furthermore, civil government is an instrument, but not an end. Men are proximate ends, but only God is the ultimate end. The state owns neither its citizens, nor properties, or minds, or bodies, or children. These all belong to the Creator God who has never given the state rights of eminent domain. Abraham Kuyper said, throughout all of it, God is proclaiming, mine, all of the created order is mine and not a government's. Amen? There's a problem. And the problem, though, is with lawlessness. Our founding fathers, even as a nation, knew there was a problem. Whenever we began to revolt in this country against the authority of England, I, I was reading this week Chernow's book about Alexander Hamilton, and it's a thick book now, and I thought my goal was to... I did not finish it on vacation, but I read a good portion of it. And... As I was reading about it, Hamilton was talking about his concern along with other founders. When the early Americans began to revolt against England, and, you know, they, they began to riot and they began to cast off that restraint that they thought was onerous, the taxation and the lack of representation that they had. They dressed up like Indians and invaded the boats. You know the story about uh, what happened in Boston and how they, they mistreated the British officers, the maritime people that were there, and they, they, uh, they threw the tea into the sea, and they later did the same thing in New York, and there was violence against those who seemed to be uh, sympathetic toward uh, England. And there was a breaking in of businesses, a burning of businesses, a parade and riding on the ra rail, uh, those, uh, and murder and tar and feathering then, and there was just a lawlessness and a hatred against and wanting to cast off all restraint. And some of the founders said, my gosh, what's going to happen when we finally, if we get free from England, will they ever come back underneath authority 
and law. Because lawlessness is a problem. There's also a problem with tyrannical governments that do unjustly. Amen? And so is there a right for protest in a society? Yes, there is. Is there times that laws are wrong and need to be tested in a court about whether they're right or wrong? And so sometimes a law is broken, and then you go to court to fight against that law so it be proven to be a wrong law. Yes. Is there a time that we can protest against a government that is doing wrongly or evil? Yes, we should. When should that be? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? One of the best writings on this subject in modern times was a letter written in 1963 by Martin Luther King, Jr. King was under criticism because he had left from Atlanta and gone to Birmingham to fight for the injustice and the ugliness and the hate and against... Um, segregation, and the demeaning that it meant to the population there. And some of the brothers began to write and say, why have you gone there and that's not your area and why are you, aren't you just causing more unrest? And he said, that's not my intention whatsoever, but it's to say that this is immoral. And this is against the very law of God. He writes and he says, Since you do so diligently urge people to obey the Supreme Court's decision of 1954, outlined segregation in public schools, at first glance it may seem rather paradoxical for us to consciously break laws. That's why is he breaking them? They're protesting. He advocated nonviolent protest. And one may well ask, how can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? And the answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. And I would be the first to advocate obeying just laws. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. And I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. Now, what is the difference between the two? How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made code that squares with the moral law, the law of God, but an unjust law is a code that's out of harmony with moral law. And to put it in the terms of St. Thomas Aquinas, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law. And any law that uplifts human personality is just, but any law that degrades human personality is unjust. 
All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. Segregation, to use the terminology of Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, substitutes an I-it relationship for an I-thou relationship. It ends up regulating persons to a status of things. Hence, segregation is not only politically, economically, and socially unsound, it is morally wrong and sinful. Wow. There's such moral clarity in the argument of Dr. King in this letter from a Birmingham jail written in 1963. You say, Brother Tim, why are you bringing this up? I'm bringing it up because sometimes there are times to protest when things are wrong. But the majority of times, we are not to live lawlessly in this society. What I see today is not so much protest in the... I see some that just are casting off all restraint and living riotously in society. And that is not right before God and is damaging in our society. Amen? There were times when the disciples chose not to obey God and, and obey man and instead obey God, of course. And in Acts chapter number 4, we read about Paul and John brought before the authorities, and they are told no longer to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. And they said, whether or not it's the right to obey you or not, you decide, but we cannot help but speak about the name, in the name of the, about the Lord Jesus. We must obey God rather than men. Amen. Daniel, similarly, remember that ploy that was done with Darius the king and those that were opposed to the Jews and opposed to Daniel. They got him to pass a law that you couldn't pray to any other deity other than to their gods. And remember, Daniel, the day they signed it, opened his windows and knelt three times and prayed toward Jerusalem and said, I will obey God and not men. There are times when the people of God say no. We will obey God, not men. But there are other times, the majority of times, that we ought to be good, obedient, law-abiding citizens in our country. Amen? Amen. Now, sometimes laws are just wrong. They're just wrong-headed, dumb laws that we don't like. But just because you don't like them doesn't mean you have the option whether or not to obey them. So... Sometimes the law is just dumb. It's not a good law. But you still obey it because it's the law. But sometimes it's immoral. And you've got to obey God and not men. We need to discern that. It's not based on your feelings. It's based on does it go against the word of God. Amen? Yeah. So, second thing. I want us to do. Look at. I want us to look at. Listen to what Peter has to say. And oh my, we got so far to go. Hang on. This is important for us to talk about, right? 
it's important for us to talk about. Number two, we just live as free men before all people. Now listen, you are free in the Lord and live as a free man. What does that mean? He says, don't live for your own pleasures. Don't live uh, uh, sinfully. Don't live wrongly. And he says, don't lose your, use your freedom, verse 16, as a covering for evil, but as bond slaves of God. He says, live as free men. He says, don't live sinfully in this world. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 5, book of Galatians, chapter number 5. In verse number 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go back and live a sinful life. In chapter 5, verse number 13, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Live holy and love, live lovingly. This is what we're called to do. Live a holy life. Don't give yourself to sinful life and sinful behavior. In the book of Romans, chapter number 6, Paul is arguing this very thing. He says, listen, don't you know if you go back and you live in a sinful life that 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 it's dishonoring to God, and don't you know that you're slaves of the one that you serve and the one that you live like? In Romans chapter number 6, and verse number 17, listen to what Paul says. He says, But thanks be to God that through, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. He said, don't live for sin, but live for God. Jesus said something very similar in John's gospel, chapter number 8, in verse number 34. John 8, verse number 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Don't live. For sinfulness, but love others, live to love others, and to live a holy life. Number three, Peter reminds us that we are to respect all men. Now look back at our passage in First uh, Peter chapter number two. He says, "Act as free men. Don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Use it as a bond slaves of God." Then he says, "Honor all men." He means respect them. Respect all men. I don't have time to look at all of the texts. You can look them up yourselves. But James reminds us that we're not to show partiality toward one man versus another man, for a rich man versus a poor man, from a person of humble means other than a person of great means. We are not to do that. Romans chapter 2, verse 11 says, there's no partiality with God. Why? All people are made in the very image of God. We need to respect all men. All people are valuable to God, so we need to speak of one another with words of value and not disrespect for all men. C.S. Lewis said, if we should see a lowly Christian 
as he will be in glory, our temptation would be to fall down and worship him. He said the most humble Christian, when he is in glory, will look like a god. He'll be so full with the goodness and the glory of God himself. Wow. Let's don't treat one another with partiality. Those who have and those who have not. In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6, verse number 5. Ephesians 6, verse number 5. It says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleaser, but slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service, how? As to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, he'll receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now listen to what he says to masters. Masters, do the same thing to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours in heaven knowing that both their masters and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. He said, don't treat each other disrespectfully, even if you're in a situation in your work environment that's one over the other. The truth of the matter is you're both made in the image of God and all of you are going to give an account to Almighty God of how we treat each other. Isn't that a good word? Fourthly, we are to love your brothers and sisters. That's what Peter says. He said, respect all men. You notice what he says, love the brotherhood. Love your brothers and sisters. Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 13, a new commandment I give you to love one another even as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Let me tell you how love looks. Love acts. Love isn't just words. Love's how you act. Not only love acts, love verifies. Love verifies that what you say about the gospel, you believe in your life. Because if you tell me how much you love God, you tell me that you love other people, but you act unlovingly and hatefully and speak disparagingly, your actions, your actions, Speak louder than your words. And your actions cause people to disbelieve what you say about the gospel. Notice what he says in the passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 2 again. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
foolish men, they say all kinds of ignorant things about you. But when you love God, and when you love men, and when you live right, and when you submit to authority, it shuts their mouth because of the life that you're living. Let's be that kind of people. Amen? Amen. Finally, he says, fear God supremely. Notice what he says. Honor all men, verse 17. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Above all, we are to fear the Lord our God with all of our heart. Amen. Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Be loyal to God. Fear Him. Fear the Lord and worship Him only. Make Him first place in your life. You be loyal to God first and foremost in your life. Folks, it's time for us to realize our first loyalty lies with God, not a political party. Fear God. Trust Him. Trust Him with your life. How many of y'all believe God is sovereign? Would you raise your hand? He's in charge. Fear Him. Trust Him. The first political election I was ever paid any attention to, really, I was in college. I was a university student down in the Citadel of Orthodoxy, SIU Carbondale. (laughs) On my floor that I lived on was the president of the college Republican. His name was Gary. And Gary was so fighting for the election of Gerald Ford, he just couldn't stand it if anybody thought they might vote for Jimmy Carter. He just, he was obnoxious about it. And when Ford lost to Carter, he went into seclusion for days. Didn't come out of his room, and he said, the whole world is going to come to an end. <laughs> what a joke. Well, you know what? Carter li- was our president, past President Carter, for f- four years. Whether you liked him or didn't like him, Edward Kennedy didn't particularly like him, and Tip O'Neill didn't like him, but he was a good man, and, and he loved God. He brought the idea and the term of being born again to the front table in America. And uh, there's a, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people leave political office and they become instant millionaires and billionaires because of their greed and corruption. You can say whatever you want, but Carter went to work for Habitat of Humanity. He's poorer today than he was when he was elected. I see people saying crazy things. If, if Trump gets elected, oh my God, the whole world's going to fall apart. Seriously? If, if Biden gets elected, the whole world's going to fall apart. Seriously? Can I share with you some good news? 
God already knows who's going to win the election. And He's not wringing His hands in heaven saying, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what are we going to do? He already knows, and He's carrying out His design in this world. Do you believe in a sovereign God or not? Amen. And honor the King. We get to love God supremely. Fear Him only. And then He finally just says, honor the King. If you're going to honor the King, that means you not only... Obey, but I think that means you pray for them. There's a lot of us that speak, you can't even speak a word about some of these politicians without saying hateful things. I'll not talk about presidents anymore. This, people say the same thing about our governor. They say to them the most hateful things about our governor. I don't agree with all of his policies, but what are we as a Christian supposed to do? I think we're supposed to pray for those in authority, aren't we? Is this the word of God or not? That wasn't very strong. Is this the word of God or not? Yeah, it is. Look with me what the scripture has to say about this. In 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Some of you have... You've taken little knives and you've cut out certain sections. You don't want them. That's what liberals used to do. We're not liberal. We're conservative. We believe the Word. So if you're conservative about the Word of God, you ought to be liberal in your love for God and love for one another. First of all, then, I urge entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. Why? So that you could lead a tranquil and quiet life in godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Listen, we need to pray for those in leadership, pray for governments, pray for those in authority so that the church of Jesus Christ can do what the church of Jesus Christ is called to do, is to preach the gospel to this world that's lost. Because our only hope is not found in politics. It's found in a sovereign God changing us through Jesus Christ, His Son. And That's what God has called us to. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. If the salt has lost its saltiness, how shall it be made salty again? It's good for nothing than to be cast out and trampled underfoot by men. You, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a lamp and put it underneath a lampshade, but they set it on a table, a stand that all may see. Let your light so shine before men that they may see by your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. This is our call as the people of God. Amen? Amen. Take away questions. I want you all to have fun with these. 
I want you to talk about them at home. I want you to talk about them tonight. I want you to talk about them in small groups, community groups. Number one, do I have, a, do I have to obey the laws of the ruling authorities as a Christian? How would you answer that? Number two, why do I have to obey civil government? Number three, what if the civil authorities are not Christians? Nero was not a Christian, hint. Number four, when do I obey, when do I not obey civil authorities? Number five, if I think it's wrong, do I still have to obey it? Well, you're not the authority. The Word of God is the authority. Number six, if, it is, if, if a law is evil, do I have to obey it? No. Number seven, is civil disobedience always sinful? Can it be righteous to disobey? Well, Daniel might be a clue here, right? Number eight, what is the difference between, quote, a wrong law and an evil law. There should be a difference. Father in heaven, thank you for your truth. Thank you for the power of it and the instruction of it. Father, I pray that we would realize that we are all lawbreakers, every one of us, Amen. and that the breaking of law is transgression yes, and that we are transgressors and sinners, but there is one who came who fulfilled the law of God perfectly, and he died for us lawless ones that we might be made right with God. And Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ, and I pray that we would pledge our lives to be his above all. In Jesus' name, amen.